Hello, friends, and welcome to another episode of Just Another Kill Team podcast, connecting Kill Team communities across the globe. This week, we are doing a surprise bonus episode due to the quarter four balance data slate that came out. It's a big one. We've got a whole bunch of meta changes coming. We sure have been waiting a long time for this. Uh, we've got. And I guess the- we talk a little. We could talk a little bit about the terrain today too, because that, like, at least the rules preview on Warcom, because I don't think we've had a chance to talk about it yet. So between that and the Q4 changes, we've got a lot coming down the line. Yeah, because I didn't see that um, the battle report on Warcom until, or the um, Warhammer Plus or whatever. Uh, I watched it; it was pretty fun. Um, I noticed it yesterday. I don't know if it came out yesterday, sure. but. I think it came I out yesterday. There's there's some questionable uh, rules interpretations. I think one of the big ones that came up was uh, the APL modification. Someone oh, was yep. like, oh yeah, you know, I get the APL and I just walk over and steal it from an Eldar. I was like, that is not how and, that And works. it was on capture, yep. So I was just like, oh, yep, that was 100% wrong. But, you know, we'll yeah. let it slide. I'll let it slide, I it's guess. An, it's an important part of, um, like, the Warcom experience is, like, just because of the Warhammer Plus doesn't mean it's how the rules work. I think when In the Dark first came out, they had the commandos breach through a wall which is not allowed. So I think a lot of people get misconceptions and while they're fun videos and well shot, well edited, they are not, I would not take anything that they say as a, the rules. Yes. A hundred percent. Very accurate. Um, but yeah, so that's a couple of things that we've got coming up. Um, yeah, right off the bat. I mean, I I feel like pretty much everyone that I've heard about and my first reactions are very positive. What about you? I am very excited to see how these changes play out over the next couple months. I think overall, yeah, broadly very positive. I think I'd said as much on the Goonhammer article. Maybe some of the nerfs aren't quite as strong as I would want them to be for things like Colts on In the Dark. But overall, just changing a lot of the teams, doing lots of little small tweaks, I think is probably a good spot because the meta seems pretty solid. And now we're just getting little light taps on all the teams that are around the 50% margin. Yeah. Yeah, and like, I mean, one of the big ones, obviously, is Commandos, and this fits, like, right in with kind of what I've been telling people anyways. Like, I've, I've seen some newer players that are like, Commandos, like, I can't play them yet, I've got to wait for them to tone down a little bit. I'm like, I I don't think, like, Commandos are really just, like, at a at the absolute top are horribly abusive, but, like, a casual player that's like, yeah, I've played Kill Team a couple times, like, you're probably going to get eaten alive. Um, So they pretty much just, like, toned down the worst of it and anyone that's like a regular person is just gonna be like oh this is totally fine it doesn't interfere with me having a fun play experience with commandos at all like they're still like the exact same team that you know and love it's just like some of the the most egregious stuff at like the the top tables has kind of been brought in line a little bit yeah for anyone who doesn't know or hasn't seen i'm sure everyone has but the changes to commandos are that the bomb squig can no longer pick up an apl boost and that when you sneaky get you cannot change orders and you can only do it once so really it's just trimming out all of the really most obnoxious turn turning point one cheeses which is which is good i think all of the other strong points still exist and honestly now commandos have to play a little bit more creatively where they actually have to use oh my all the rest of their ploys actually institute a game plan on turning point two which they didn't have to do and for some of the matchups for some of the matchups you could just sneak you get twice or thrice and just watch your opponent kind of run around with their heads cut off so i think it's a i think it's a good change yeah absolutely 
Yeah, the uh, the bomb squig not being able to gain positive APL is a real like Mandela effect for me because that's what I thought it was all along. And I've had like several games where someone like someone gave him an extra APL and I was like, what? He's too stupid to do that. That's part of his like too stupid rule, isn't it? We look it up. It isn't. And then I was like, I swear I read that. And then like three months later, it happened again. And then I like remember it. I did it before. And I was like, we looked this up like three months ago. That's not how it works. Looked it up again. And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So I guess no, I mean, the bomb uh, thing. The big thing for the bomb squig is before there were a couple lines like against like Vetguard or some of the other horde plays where you could like charge, fight someone for real, kill them because it has a pretty good melee profile, beat someone in melee and then blow up on some other on something else, which was kind of crazy. And then you could also move dash and explode, which are two things that are pretty, pretty strong, obviously. Yeah, uh, especially because the shh does apply if no one can see him. So you could like mm-hmm. double dash and then yeah so you like give him an extra apl and then at the start of the turn you give him a dash with shh and then you three apl move and dash and you can just it was yeah yeah it it could be an 11 to 14 inch threat range which was just a lot when you also have to deal with the other dynamite which is also like a a nine uh, an eight inch threat range with the commando boss or someone with an apl behind a box so there's just a lot of there's a lot of big bubbles you had to worry about and now those bubbles have been reduced they still exist but they can no longer be used on turn one which i think is going to just allow players to think uh unfortunately it doesn't mean that those things have gone away all of those strong points still exist so i still expect commandos to be pretty good it's just the uncreative commando players who were coasting on turning point one cheese definitely have to actually play now so i think think i think it'll be a good change for commandos yeah absolutely yeah uh meanwhile you know chaos cults the only other group that actually got a nerf everyone else that we're gonna be talking about got a buff they basically have a change it around the mutation rule so before when you would change from one data card to another you would full heal all the way up so mutants would go back up to seven and then when you go to a torment you automatically go up to 13 now when you're going up a stage you only get d3 plus one and d3 plus three which means that a full health mutant going up to a torment might not end up at 13 wounds which i think is a meaningful difference but we'll see if it actually is enough over time it does mean that a mutant that got hit as a devotee that mutated that isn't at full health and then goes to torment again you know might end up at like 10 wounds starting or nine wounds starting but that's really not ultimately that much at the end of the day it's still going to delete most things that it runs into but now every once in a while it'll delete something and die in response so it's not quite as free and then the other change is that your devotees have to actually murder someone to mutate now because i you know there was a lot of cases before where like a commando boy goes in vortex on threes you only get two hits and now suddenly this the devotee that you hit turns into a mutant and then you're kind of screwed so those situations have gone away which i think are, both of them are meaningful nerfs we'll see if it's enough to really change them on in the dark which is where they're at their strongest i think on open this these this pair of nerfs actually does hurt them quite a bit yeah yep and and just like thematically it was kind of like they were nonsensibly like overpowered where like a devotee can just like run up and just like show you that he's got a knife and then like the gods are like wow that was pretty cool dude give him the big pokemon evolution like send him up boys Yeah, yeah i think now when you're playing against kind of like the veteran guard horde teams when you get into melee with a devotee there's actually it's not actually a guarantee that anything is going to happen because they are i think three attacks on fours two three or four attacks on the fours, two, three, the like, guard. 
the devotee on both sides. So it's just kind of like a slap fight all the way around. And it's not guaranteed that you're going to get a mutation when you charge in and do a fight. Whereas before, a devotee running into a vet guard guy was basically a guaranteed mutant, which was basically the game. Because on the next turn, it would be a torment and you would just be dead. Plus, like, the full health, so it doesn't matter if you, like, chip him away. Or, like, if, if he does and then you, like, try to fight him and you get him down to one and then he, like evolves again and turns into the full-blown like torment it was just like ridiculous and hopeless yeah it was just a it was just a lot of numbers that you as a horde player it was just very hard for you to manage so i think it's a meaningful change i think on in the dark you still get the mostly full health torment running into your lines like a pair of them on turn two basically running into any of the midward positions I, that hasn't really gone away um but the fewer free mutants i think is probably pretty nice so maybe now people might not actually just run two torments into your lines right away because maybe now you actually need a couple mutants in your back line for turns three and four so maybe it'll trim it we'll see i this this is one where you know i'm willing to take the l on my my overall thoughts on gellerpox because i've always thought that gellerpox you know they've eaten like six nerfs and they were like oh they're manageable but i watched them at the world championships like no four torments is still a lot on turn one so yeah, maybe I just don't play enough melee teams where I really see the matrix on them. So I think I'm going to assume that it's not enough, but we we shall see. Yeah, I mean, they definitely are super strong. Um, agreed. We'll see. Uh, it could have like a bigger rippling effect than it looks like. So, yeah, I, guess I, we'll I do think tuned. that like it feels like they're nerfing these two big meta monsters, but they buffed everyone else. So the real expectation is because you're buffing everyone else, they can now chip away at some of that win rate that these two teams had. So, you know, which ones of the out of the one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine teams that were buffed? Do you want to talk about first? Um, oh, man. Uh, I know you were playing Felgor recently, so maybe we should just start there. They've got a small change, so you could talk about the small change and then kind of, you know, talk about what you're thinking about. Yeah, I have been playing a bunch of Felgor recently. Um, I've been doing all right. I, I've done like five practice games. I won three, tied one, and lost one, which is actually pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. But Yeah, considering the, that the team is like bad right now by people's estimations. Yeah, the like the overall, my overall takeaway with Felgor and kind of like what had me hesitating to, to dive into him um, is they have 10 specialists and like that's a lot. So... There is a lot there and there's a lot of like crazy combos and I feel like people as soon as like the cheese went away They were just like mm, whatever and it's just like no, there's there's stuff there. It's pretty gnarly So like I feel like it they didn't really need that much of a buff Because it's just they need to be explored and it's as simple as that So the fact that like the the buffs that they did get like one of them was was basically like more of an FAQ than anything um, it was the whole when you shoot a frenzy goat, uh, it doesn't. If you do a crit, it uh, like it doesn't kill it unless it was after it's already frenzied, which is like, yeah. Basically, there was a loophole in the way the word wording was written on the on Q three where that said that you could take a crit and you can the second crit that gets applied is what gets you. And then they said in the article and the video that it takes a second whole shooting attack, but that's not how they wrote the rule. So they finally clarified that. They said, like, you can hit it with a crit, but the second crit doesn't do anything. It just keeps it frenzied. So you have to do a whole extra shooting attack before it can get removed, which is how everyone who was sane was playing it. So I don't think anyone really cares there. But the more important change is bringing back one of the old play styles that was kind of removed by having frenzied goats go from 
uh, full APL to zero APL. And now they've hit the midground and they said that every frenzied goat counts for one. So in between turns, you can still keep control of a couple things, which is important, I think. Yeah, you, I'm sure you run into this while playing, right, Jason? I don't know if it would have made much of a difference at all in, in the games that I've had, but maybe. Um, yeah, so the big thing there is it's only one APL. So a lot of this stuff is it, it involves more teamwork to have that actually mean something. You can't just like send someone out as a missile, which is kind of how I've been playing. And then if they like contest an objective or like if I have an objective and then you frenzy the goat, then the same like two APL model that frenzied the goat could take it. And, and like, it doesn't really slow you down there. It's like if you've got a stack of goats and then you kill all of them, uh, then you can't still take it on the same turn. But that's like it's such a shift that I'm like, I don't know how I'd have to play some more games and see if like what that even does, if anything, for at least for how I play. Yeah, I, th I think overall it, it's a meaningful change. I think Felgor now have a, a couple more ways to score outside of just missling into people with your extremely killing models. So it lets you basically play a couple defensive lines along with your aggressive lines. So when your opponents hit your midline, you can send goats in and wait. Because if you have two goats versus a guy, it's tied. And then if you send in a living goat, you're good. And if your opponent sends in another person. So it just it just buys you a little bit of time to actually play the scoring game if you want to. Which I think is probably what it's there for. And also now if someone chips a goat in your back line, it doesn't suddenly go away. Like on capture, if you're your backline goat dies he can still gain control of the thing then pass away which is yeah. i think probably good it's the biggest help enormously for capture just because mm -hmm. yeah for exactly what you said like that's great um yeah. yeah, as far as, you know, so I think Felgor, it's a nice change. We'll see how many other people are going to pick them up. If anyone who's listening wants to talk about Felgor, you know, feel free. You know, Jason is really interested in talking about Felgor strats after playing them a little bit. So hit us up on Discord and maybe we'll bring you on on the uh, Just Another Kill Team Discord. Uh, another one of the other teams with a really, really minor change is a Farstalker Kinband. I think this one is a, a fun one for us to talk about. I played a little bit of Farstalker, so you know I'll, I'll talk about it a little bit. Basically, the Kill Broker has Call the Kill, which is a strategic phase ability that lets you nominate someone that he can see and get auto-retains across the board. Now it's been changed, so you no longer need visibility, which is actually a really important buff for In the Dark where the leader just couldn't see anything ever usefully anyways. Uh, and now you get three choices. You either get an auto-retain, ceaseless, or P1 for shooting attacks. Which, you know, ceaseless and P1 are both very powerful, especially when we have multiple models on Farsucker Kinman that can crit fish. In the balanced, in the Pistolier, it's got lethal five. And then we've got a couple dudes with rending on their guns. So, yeah, yeah, it's nice. I think that's actually like a bigger change than it sounds like, especially the not requiring line of sight thing, because it was like that. That's like requiring line of sight is such a thing to play around. Like if you've ever played veteran guardsman and then switched to Kasserkin and you're like, you mean I can signal anyone on the board? And then all of a sudden you just like go meme mode, like the turn into a Super Saiyan and just your whole brain unlocks. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's it is a huge difference, especially in the dark where getting your kill broker to get line of sight on something important before it dies is definitely a struggle and definitely something that isn't super fun to have to manage. Um, Ceaseless and P1 both help in different matchups where like against elites, the P1 is really great. And then against everyone else, like the hordes, Ceaseless is pretty good because being able to take your hitting on threes to rerolling ones means that you just have much wider range of dice rolls that are you're happy with. 
So I think both of them are, it's a small change, but it helps in all the ways that Far Soccer needs without going way too overboard. So I think it's it's great. And then um, um, would any of those options apply to melee or are they all shooting only? Uh, let me double check. Actually, oh no, it's, yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, so now Call the Kill actually works. Um, Call the Kill, the way it's worded originally, allows it to work on melee and shooting. Unfortunately, P1 doesn't do anything for melee, so that doesn't do anything. But Ceaseless in melee, actually really good, because we've got a, everyone hits on threes naturally. So just making your melee that much more consistent is great. And that means that your dogs, you know, five attacks on threes, three, four rending with Ceaseless, that's a really good profile. Yeah, that's a full-blown, like, watch out literally everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I do think like it's a very minor wording change, but it gives them way more flexibility. Similar to this, the next team with a small change, Corsair Voidsguard. They got two small changes, but I think it will change the dynamic of that team substantially. So Cor- Corsair Voidsguard, Outcasts, the range for Outcasts is now three inches compared to six. And for anyone who's played Phobos through the last year and a half, the change from a six inch radius to a three inch radius is massive. Same with Geller so Box. Once you're, yeah, once you're once you're just a little bit further out, you get to do the uh, if you get a crit, you get to take a miss and turn it into a hit, which is nice. Not that Outcast is amazing, but it does make it way more usable because uh, you don't have to be that unsafe now. Before you were like slingshotting a dude way way off your team to go get the the ability, and now like a shredder steps out, nukes someone, and then dashes back into cover, and it's not that crazy. And but more importantly, I think the other the buff that everyone was hoping for was that deadly ambush now lets you go from conceal to engage. And I'm yeah. sure every single Voidsguard player when they were learning the team thought this is how this works, but it wasn't. And now it is. Yeah. So the deadly ambush is it's a tactical ploy where if someone ends a move near a ready operative that's within three inches, you can spring out and ambush charge them. Um uh, yeah, before is, you it had to you had to be on engage because charges required you to be on engage. Yeah. Now the now it works the way that everyone thought it worked because you know you can charge and flip your order on the way through. And it, I think on in the dark this is probably where this is going to play the most just because now a concealed guy behind a barricade uh can't be you can't grenade him. Yeah, and then like in general it would be really easy to set up all sorts of little like traps all over the map where like the the beginning of the game you set up a couple of dudes that are next to objectives, but not on them, um, which is in general also helpful for the uh, the plunder or, or whatever the thing that lets you dash towards objectives. So it gives you a little more like slingshot movement. But then if someone on the next turn moves close to it, then you can deadly ambush them um, and just like deadly ambush is actually going to be a thing now. And I'm pretty excited about it because it was like one of the coolest concepts. And uh, it was that was yeah, I like I bought a team for Corsairs and then I never played them because Deadly Ambush only worked on Engage. Yeah. So, yeah, Corsair Voids card. It it was a very minor change, but it's taking things that basically no one is using actively and giving them, you know, at least on life. So Outcast, I'm pretty sure that everyone, you know, when we were all doing grenade plays early on in the meta, we were like, ah, we're going to slingshot a plasma grenade into five dudes. And I think I quickly realized, yeah, I might hit four guys, but unless I kill all of them or kill half of them, this is not worth the operative on a nine operative team. And I stopped doing it even with Outcast because like, you know, it just wasn't worth it. So now Outcast has more play. We've got better crit guns, too. So now that Treader with Outcast is like is bonkers silly because you're getting five attacks on threes with rending so you know as long as you get one hit you're good to go and deadly ambush you know is good 
You want to bring us through the hunter clade changes? So the hunter clade, um, there, there was two things. It was, uh, I didn't write down what the doctrine, the doctrines were, but, um, basically there's the offensive one and it gives everyone balanced. Mm-hmm. Um, I think yeah. before it was like, and if you had one for balance, basically. Yeah. And that's, so yeah. they, they've kind of just like made those a little bit more just like steady reliable. Cause before it was a little more situational. Um, I'm not like a hundred percent familiar, but I think it was something like, it, did it work kind of like how outcast did where like, if you got a crit, you could turn a, a fail into a hit or something like that. Uh, so for both of them, they were both worded where you had to miss twice before you could get another reroll. And now it's just straight up balanced across the board. And then Bulwark Imperative has a deprecation that got changed. So before, you would lose two inches of movement, so you would only move seven inches in a turn with uh, a normal move in a dash, or just a four-inch normal move. Now, if you have the deprecation from Bulwark, which you probably never should, just because you should be changing doctrines every turn, but if you ever go back, um, you cannot dash for, with, an active, with an operative who has Bulwark up. Protector required you to miss twice, and now it just gives you balance, so it just made it easier to use everything. Um, an important note is that the Hunter Clay defensive combo of Bulwark, Imperative, and Calculated Approach is now way more consistent, because before you had to be in cover when this was going. Now Bulwark Imperative just gives you a reroll on defense regardless. So just you can just get in there and actually depend on that reroll, which you couldn't before because you needed cover. Yeah, that that is that's quite a bit better. Um, like for mm-hmm. anyone that's been playing the 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 void dancers and like getting that extra reroll on your defense it's it's kind of almost like having four defense dice because like you're gonna miss one and if you don't you're in an amazing spot um and then with a reroll it's yeah it's like as close to four defense as you can get basically yeah it's quite useful against you know ap1 ap2 obviously doesn't do anything but against ap1 and you know no ap it's great yeah. So Bulwark Imperative and Protector, it's, you know, they're minor buffs, but just making the team just a little bit easier to use is not a bad thing when the team is not the top of the meta like it used to be. So I kind of wish that they got the Arc Rifle back, but, you know, we'll, or not Arc Rifle, the Transuranic Archibist, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah, the big oval base sniper dude. Yeah. Uh, the last of the small changes actually segues us into the next two. So Inquisition agents, because they take ancillary options from all these other squads, the caster can change got changed and the exaction squads got changed. So both of these changes got basically lumped into the Inquisition agents. So the important one for the subductor. So we'll we'll go to we'll go to exaction squad because I think they're probably the more interesting one of the pair. And execution order was their reroll ability. That gave you, I think, balanced um, against I, any I target. I think it's like full blown rerolls. I think it's full on relentless. I think it is full on relentless, and you use it when you activate your leader. Um, oh, and it then is. Okay. It was yeah. like so it cost zero when your op- when your leader is activated, but it needed line of sight. So now execution order doesn't need line of sight. So now your shields are way better. So I think this is really targeted at the elites matchup where. You know, you have six operatives you're trying to kill or defend yourself against, and now you have Relentless against the most dangerous one at any given time. It's a really big change on execution order. And then going over to the shields, now the shields got collapsed into one profile. So if you have the leader, your shield now gets lethal five and stun. And then for your normal subductors, they have stun along with everything else. So now you're a four attacks on fours, four, four, double parry, go first always, and you have stun. Yeah, so because, if you're a high roll, you grab a crit. You can now knock off something while you're hitting your opponent. So those are all very meaningful changes. Yeah, because before it was like you would never ever use the offensive one, like almost never. 
Um, yeah, I don't then, think there was ever a good reason to do it. Yeah. And and yeah, now it's just like you can actually take advantage of that stun that they were clearly intended to have, uh, which is mm-hmm. definitely a good thing. Um, and then the execution order, I'm pretty sure you could use it on one turn and then that target is marked for the whole game for rerolls. And then the next turn you can use it again. Uh, but this time it costs a CP, but it's still totally worth it. And now you've got two targets that you've got full rerolls against. Oh, yeah, you don't actually have to kill. You don't have to remove the enemy operative. You can just keep doing it. Yep. So, so you can do it every turn. Permanent relentless. Yeah. So I, I do think that this will help a lot in their worst matchup, which was elites. Because um, the important thing for the team is their phosphor lumens are probably the most important equipment. And it just stops rerolls within six inches. So now the shields are good against everything. Um, the leader also got a small buff where when you deploy the speaker system, it now costs zero instead of one. And because the zero AP speaker system does the terror ability, you can now mess up hordes trying to capture stuff on the midboard. So a lot of basically small buffs all at the same time, but all of them are meaningful. And that helps the Inquisition agents because they can pick up two shields. Casterkin uh, got, I think, a larger buff. And I've been playing Casterkin a little bit in my local league or local monthly scene, and I actually won the December monthly. So the big change for them is that elite points have been upgraded. So after you retain your first success or after you've done your rerolls or whatever, and you've adjusted your first dice, if you discard a die, so basically going from a pool of four or five down one, you can upgrade a second dice, which means that you're basically almost always guaranteed to get three hits as long as you get one hit. So it really takes all of your high AP weaponry on early turns into very reliable profiles, especially against the horde teams. Because before the horde teams, you know, you could miss a die or miss a shot, and that would matter a lot. Now missing once is really not that big a deal because you have enough points where you're getting three hits anyways and forcing them to take saves. So like that early 2-4 grenade blast is now crazy strong. Yeah. Yeah, and then just with like the the AP two weapons and the and the sniper and all that, like they they have a lot of, that really just like hits well, and it it doesn't need that much of a bump, and and this little bump is just I think it kind of makes them one of the the most potentially the most reliable in the game. It's definitely they're definitely the most reliable shooting team, especially now. I think before you were always worried about the oh I got one hit, the best I'm going to do is a crit and a hit. Which is fine, but generally like manageable. Like everyone can manage to say like one save against an AP two gun. But now, if you're getting three ta- three dice with your AP two guns, there are really no whiff situations early. So that's a big change. And um, then, like against Phobos and Legionary with a melta gun, all you need is three hits. So just having yeah, like you're a guaranteed, you're guaranteed three guaranteed. hits. Yeah. So like if you play your if you play right. You can just like jump out and nuke someone in a way that he's not in danger and then just repeat that. And your melted gun could kill like two or maybe even three if you're like, yeah, the elite, really the super is, is like the perfect 12 wound marine killer. So even legionary with their buff, you're still taking the full 12. So three hits with a melta. One of them is for sure going to be a crit because you're never not going to apply a crit against that legionary. And then you have two more hits. It's basically guaranteed to kill any legionary. Um, and that's not even that's that's not even the whole buff. There's two other reasonably large buffs. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, one of them, which is that the gunners and the sharpshooter can take a foregrip as well. The foregrip is a equipment piece. Um, it costs one for your las guns and it costs two for your gunners. And it means if you take an overwatch, your ballistic skill does not worsen. <coughs> 
yeah Yeah, and it's actually this is this is big for basically in the dark specifically because i don't think this equipment sees any use on open just because you're not really overwatching that much yeah you're a 10 model team and you're like trying to be cagey and keep your dudes alive Mm -hmm. yeah so but on in the dark now if you put a gunner in a room behind a barricade and your opponent charges now you're getting a full shooting attack at no ballistic skill penalty which is wild if you think about it because now your guys are standing in the room they don't need the blades or anything they just stand there you charge them you just nuke the person and then you get to continue on with your life yeah yeah definitely solid um the other one which is actually my favorite is the recon trooper aspects is uh, is actually usable before it was like no cover and then it unlocked you being able to use one of your attack ploys. Um, but now instead it uh, uh, is this an addition or instead I didn't write no, that it's my instead. Notes. So you instead. we've lost no cover from the warden aspects ability on the recon trooper. And now instead we've given it ignores obscurity. And this is the change that goes over to the Inquisition agents because you can take a uh recon trooper so now the recon trooper gives you a free recon dash and you can pick anyone anywhere on the map and you can give them everyone gets to ignore obscurity on that target so no cover was was fine but now you get no obscurity which is on the new terrain where obscurity is going to be way more prevalent prevalent it's going to be really good yeah um now here's a question uh does the recon trooper need to see the target in the same way that like an intercessor aspects work or he can just like nope. choose someone and make their obscure and go away. From what I remember from playing the team, he just picks someone and basically marks them for death. Select one enemy operative until the end of the turning point. So it doesn't need visibility or anything. You just you just know that they exist. And now everyone ignores obscurity. Oh, man. So that's I, yeah, I exactly think what I want out of an aspect. That's beautiful. Yeah, I do think that this change is one of the larger ones as far as teams go. I don't really think caster could need it having played them at a tournament and you know making it into my invitational with them i thought the delete points were already really good you know you just have to roll average you save cp to make sure you're re-rolling bad dice but now you don't even need to you you can save the cp for other things so that's all of those things feel like big changes and then on in the dark i was taking a lot of knives before but now i could just take a couple four grips on you know some of the bigger weapons like the melts of the plasma and just cram them into a room and put them on guard like if your opponent walks into the room as long as you're in a position where your opponent has to get into your line of sight you don't really care so for anyone who doesn't know if you're trying to get a guard shot off in a room what you actually want to do instead of doing it from the edge of a door you walk all the way inside the room make sure your barricade is kind of like at a corner so if someone wants to get a line they have to walk into the room and take the shot so now a plasma overwatch on kasserkin that's a, i think that's like a very solid line that your opponent now has to really interact with or or die yeah that's that's super true um but yeah so uh those apply to the inquisition as well like you said um not all of them 100 percent. let's see the no it's just the recon the trooper so yeah the recon, yeah, the trooper, recon trooper goes in and then and the shields on it. the action squad have gotten that, better so. yeah the shields got better and then the other stuff is uh because you can't take the the proctor exactant or whatever the leader no you can't is. take them so it it's just the it's just the shield dorks and the recon trooper have both gotten improved but i think those are both meaningful changes i think getting an operative that helps the rest of your team ignore obscurity is going to be nice on the new terrain so i doubt it's enough to pull you away from taking six breachers just because six breachers is just such a huge stat block but we'll see i mean maybe, maybe we're wrong yeah. um i do think it gives inquisition this whole new uh, like a much stronger way to use the melee centric side of the team because you can take a pair of shields and just run at the blooded because now you've got your own melee guys and the shield guys and the shield guys do tons of work and if you shoot next to a shield guy you get p1 so there's a couple things there 
um you know we've got two other reasonably large changes which one do you want to cover first jason the Wormblade one or the pathfinder one um i feel like we saved pathfinders for last and hit the Wormblade next all right all right well you know Wormblade, they're a big one i think they got called out twice and on two different data slates and they finally got their change so you know we'll, t- we'll let's go with the easy ones heavy gunners now have suspensor systems so they can move six inches and shoot which is fine uh, so, you know, but it's not bad if you have a climbing rope and now lets you actually climb all the way on top of a building and get a get a shot off on something outside of, the, you know, the containers. So that's pretty solid. And then the Sanctus Talon got a pretty large buff in that now you are double attacking. So when you hit with your first crit, you can take a normal hit and attack with it. But if you only have a critical left, then you can use the crit instead. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, one thing that is a good thing to note about the suspensors is they're free. It's just like mm-hmm. added to them for free. Yeah. Um, just yeah and then the, uh, the, the double strike is. It- yeah. I think I th- let's, let's, let's go over the operative. Cause I am under the assumption that probably no one knows what the Sanctus Talon does. Cause no one has ever seen it on in on the board. Um, so the Sanctus Talon is the same as all the other agents. It's got nine wounds, four up save, can double retain or get a crit. It also has three APL, but it's got the Sanctus Bio Dagger, which is four attacks on twos, three six, lethal four with stun. But if you enchant it with your familiar soul sight, you get brutal and balanced. Um, the important thing is after you do a charge while you're on a conceal, you can oh you can charge while on conceal, and if you after you fight, you can perform a free dash away, basically. So now the Sanctus Talon is basically perfectly situated to just eat any of the marines which is the core thing the team cannot manage is like five assault intercessors running at you so four dice on twos three six lethal four brutal balance stun if you have a crit and you have nothing else you can double crit first and then do the rest so against any of the 12 wound marines it's not that crazy for you to get two crits because it's lethal four with balance so you're rolling five dice looking for two fours and hopefully no hit normal hits but basically between all those things, a Sanctus Talon can pretty much almost always kill one Marine, and if he only, if he only takes three or four wounds, if he only takes four wounds, he could probably do it again. And, like, if you get two crits and a miss and a normal hit, you'd probably re-roll your normal hit with balance to either have it miss so you can double strike for 12, or have it get another crit also so you can double strike for 12. Yeah, so there's there's quite a bit of it. I don't think it's actually like that crazy a buff just because the town was basically, you know, not usable for. So it's given him a new lease on life. It also makes him fairly good against all of the mid range stuff, because now you can just run at an eight wound, nine wound model and basically reliably kill it, which is something that the locust cannot technically say, you know, five dice on twos, four, six lethal five. You know, you get to go first and parry doesn't necessarily mean you never take any damage, but the talent actually does say I take no damage against a nine wound or lower model. So maybe, you know, that's that's, those are pretty meaningful changes. It helps you chip away at the activation game. But, you know, the real killer here is the cult ambush. That's the one that everyone was expecting. And this one is a big change. Yeah, I think this is definitely uh, more than I was expecting for it. The like, yeah, not only is it a big change. Yeah, not only is it a big change, but it's also some wording that will probably get argued back and forth a little bit. Yeah, so it's if if not every enemy model can see you, you can call the ambush, which kind of like 
on paper sounds like you're going to be cult ambushing 100% of the time. Correct. Yeah, that's that's the way I read it. Um, however, I've heard people say on the Internet that it's the other way around, where if anyone can see you, you aren't getting it. So we'll we'll see how everyone interprets it. I will be rolling it the other way. So, you know, if anyone who's listening has strong opinions on how it should be interpreted, feel free to drop the legalese in the rules inquisition on, you know, our discord. You can find the link to that discord in the episode description. In the show notes. Yeah, but I, I, you know, I wrote the Goonhammer balanced data slate kind of hot takes with John, and John is the number one Wormblade player in the U.S. I think he's like, you know, top five, top ten in the U.S., and he thinks that these changes are too much, so we'll see how they play out over time. Yeah. Yep, uh, but I mean, I feel like they're not like a super popular team, so maybe this will uh, bring them clambering out of the cracks again to come steal your life. Steal, steal, steal your, your steal your, uh, Yeah, I, I do think that like it's a it's a lot of changes, and the changes are all meaningful. I think heavy gunners getting suspensors is actually really nice because it actually lets you move and fire into much stronger positions than you were able to do before. The important thing about Wormblade's cult ambush ability is hiding now works on turn one with any of the gunner options, which was a thing that we explicitly were not allowed to do because of the way timing worked. So now that turn one grenade play is real scary because four dice on fours, two, four, blast two with any reroll any one type. That's pretty good. Yeah, any kind of a, a grenade with rerolls that can like catch you off guard is like some of the top tier stuff out there, in my opinion. And I want to say that this should interact with the strategic ploys and tack out ploys. So before. No, it does not. OK, cool. It doesn't do that. So that's good. So the Coiled Serpent and Slink into Darkness does not work because those are explicitly engaged to conceal flips. Um, but it does mean that your gunners on turn one can alpha strike a little bit harder. So, you know, the counterplay for anyone who's listening, who's curious, like, oh, how do we deal with Wormblade is just don't get blasted. <laughs> just make them make them think that they're going to get a blast and then walk away from it. Like, recon dash away. Make them do it. But just don't have four guys get hit. It's, uh, you know, you'd rather lose the game on turn two than on turn one. It's true. All right. Well, you know, my favorite team. I think that brings us there. Pathfinders. Yep. The Boogeyman season one and, you know, half before in the dark, the pre in the dark world was the Pathfinder Boogeyman's Paradise. And I think it's kind of back. So, you know, quarter three Pathfinders got nerfed in that. Or I think quarter two, we lost the 13th operative before the team was 12 activations or 13 activations. Uh, because Recon Drone uh, counted for two operatives. The Recon Drone is a 12-wound, 4-up save operative that flies, has a pretty good Gatling gun, 6 dice on 4s, 3-4, ceaseless, heavy, that could give you a Recon Dash bonus and chain activate someone while giving that chain activated operative Relentless. So it did a ton, but it cost two operatives before, which was not generally worth it most of the time because you just want the extra time to basically marker light and set up stuff now you could just take it so the 12 act the 12 operative layout is just always going to have a recon drone and that's crazy powerful because now your your melted grenade from your grenadier is going to have relentless on turn one probably among other things or you can have an ion rifle just pick up relentless so you don't have to do all the marker lighting stuff you can just play more aggressively 
and you know we got a in the dark specific buff which was the drones as long as the drone controller is alive can open doors there's yeah it's just a crazy amount of stuff yeah well it looks like the recon drones back on the menu uh sounds like it's an auto include it's one it of those you include in every single yeah. every single yeah. one i mean for anyone who <laughs> didn't play in that time period basically elites were the easiest matchup possible and yeah with this change the elites are for sure the easiest matchup and i think even on in the dark elites are relatively straightforward to manage so you know having played pathfinders a little bit at the world championships there's a lot of room to play the game on the strap ploy phase by recon sweeping in and out of rooms um you know setting up baits getting your opponent to think that they can make a charge that suddenly disappears and then having them be in an awkward position so all of that stuff is nice. And when you forward deploy your marker drone into a room behind uh, behind a barricade, now you can open that door for the rest of your team and go on guard. They have a concealed marker drone on an objective, opening a door behind a barricade that your opponent can't interact with. And if they try to, they get a pair of marker lights. It's just miserable. Yeah. So, yeah, helping out a lot with the end of the dark. Um, yeah, and yeah, then just so, in general, the recon drone all around. Yeah, the recon drone is just a crazy, crazy powerful piece. It gives you a lot of threat projection because six dice on fours is enough where on a normal day, it's pretty good. And if you give it a little bit of marker light support, if you push it up to hitting on threes, then the ceaseless just becomes like a crazy powerful thing. So six dice on threes, three, four, ceaseless, no cover at that point and balanced. So you're basically just going to hit six times. <laughs> Yeah, I'm like five on a bad day. Yeah, so so I I, I am look very much looking forward to playing them. Like this, I've read the changes. I was like, oh man, <laughs> Pathfinder's back on the menu, especially with the new terrain um, going with more obscurity. So I think let's talk about the new terrain a little bit. I know we haven't had a chance to talk about it until basically today because the, the previews have only just started coming out. Um, we've got a lot of sets of like gantries basically floating on top of water you can't walk on the water at all so we've got a lot of space we just can't use but what do you think about the new terrain jason you know i i'm i've been on team like i think it's going to be fun all along like it's i mean going from the regular season one boards to the end of the dark was a big change and it's just like it brought about like a whole new mindset and i think that's a better way to to think about it and to approach this in general like if you have some reservations really just think about it as like it's a whole new mindset and like another way to play and in general i'm excited about it um i'm a huge fan of the obscuring rules and its shenanigans i know it's like it's not super new player friendly but i love just the shenanigans with ignore obscuring and uh i think it looks cool are, are we on a, are we calling them the ocean boards? What do you think we're going to have to call them? Cause you know, we've got open, we've got in the dark and now we we need to call it something. I don't know what we're calling it yet. Ocean boards. Uh, I could get behind it. We could just, you know, throw it at the communities, see if it sticks. Maybe everyone's just going to go. I don't know. What is it? What is it actually called? Beta decima. Yeah. We're not calling it that. That's or like, you know, the season is salvation, but I, I don't think we're going to call it either of those things. Like the ocean describes the new empty spaces on the map. So I'm OK with ocean at the moment. Unfortunately, it's not a jungle, but we did get jungle kill team rules on uh, the white dwarf. I haven't looked at them yet, so I can't really comment. Yeah, I haven't either. But um, for anyone who hasn't read any of these articles about the new ocean terrain or whatever the season three terrain is going to be called, um, 
there's these big blocks on the map that are ocean or wavy areas that we can't walk into because you get eaten by a monster or it's just, you know, there's a lot of wind or whatever on top of an oil rig. And if you measure a cover line that is more than four inches long or four inches or longer through that area, you are automatically obscured. And if you shoot under or if you shoot under a gantry, one of those, you know, the new pieces of terrain, if you shoot underneath it, you actually also get obscured. So there's a lot more obscuring. And the terrain that they added on for the narrative terrain, I don't actually know. That's probably my biggest question is whether or not the terrain that's there for the normal missions is going to be there for the tournament missions. Because that I, I really don't know yet. Because those pieces of terrain actually provide cover. So I think in the on the Warhammer Plus piece, those were being used as cover. If we don't have those, then to being on top of a gantry is basically a death sentence. And I, it looked like they had barricades on top of the new gantries, so at least we'll have a little bit of barricade stuff that we can place, but it'll be kind of empty without that terrain, so we'll have to see how GW handles it and how TOs handle it. For my part, you know, at the, the first monthly where we can play this terrain, hopefully I can get, you know, nine or ten boards, and we'll just play the raw missions from the book, and we'll have feedback on those. So that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. Yeah, if it is just like a death sentence, uh, I'm sure some new innovative tactics will come up with uh, smoke grenades and barricades and just trying to like blitz across the whole world and uh, get some more play out of that. Yeah, I think we're you're probably the most excited for the Incursor Menace to rear its ugly head because now you've got a whole team that ignores obscurity and a whole map that just wants obscurity. Yes. Yeah, I feel like that's scarier than a lot of people think. Uh, We'll see, though. Yeah, we will see. It'll be it'll be a cool time for us to figure out like what works and what doesn't. Um, obviously, any teams that can ignore jump tests will be nice because there are going to be a lot more explicit force jump tests. So teams with fly and teams with ignores jump. So I think ignores jump is Kroot and Phobos can both ignore jump tests. Harlequins always fly. And I think those are the only teams that like for sure ignore a lot of the rules. However, you know, Pathfinders have a little bit of both because they ignore obscurity on, you know, for a couple operatives and they have a couple flying drones, which is nice. Um, it looked like the the Blades of Kane, they've got a couple tricks, so we'll see how that that plays out. I'm excited to handle the team because it they look fun on the battle report and scouts look cool, too. You know, they've got the um, the scouting tricks where you spend all of right after all the operators set up. You can like rearrange the board by adding like booby traps and stuff. So that's 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 cool. Yeah. And you could like take a redeploy and there's yeah all sorts of stuff like that. And then like their ambush tactics and things like that looks pretty cool. Um, I'm, I'm amused. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot coming down the line. Hopefully you guys are also excited. If anyone is excited to play anything or wants to talk about any specific thing, make sure to message us because we're always down to talk about it on our Patreon and our Discord. Absolutely. Uh, well, that pretty much covers it for the the data slate and the little kind of preview chat about the beta decima, the ocean board. Yeah, join us next week. We'll be uh, hopping over to Japan to catch up with a boy dancer player from Japan. See you there.